You are listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode one. Today, we're asking the question, when do behavioral safety interventions work? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven and I'm here with Drew Ray and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety and examine the evidence surrounding it. So Drew, what's today's question? I've picked a broad topic for this episode because I think the answer to this question is going to go some way to explain why the rest of our episodes will have much narrower topics. So just before I get to the exact question, the scenario prompting the episode is simple. Let's say you're in an organization that wants to improve safety, and for whatever reason, your organization has decided to focus on individual behavior. Uh, The safety manager wants to get with the program, but they also want to make sure that they're adopting something that's well-proven, not just behavior on snake oil. So they go to their shelf and they pull down the big book called Behavioral Safety Interventions Based on Strong Evidence. What's in the book? How many well-evidenced interventions are there? And are there some patterns to what works and doesn't work? So the precise question we'll be answering is just, when do behavioral safety interventions work? Before we dive too deeply into it, Let's just have a quick chat about behavioural safety in general. David, what are your thoughts? Is behaviour-based safety science or nonsense? So I think, Drew, to answer that question directly, I think that human behaviour change is absolutely a science. But behaviour-based safety is probably mostly nonsense. However, the question we're asking today is a really interesting and important one because I think all of our listeners would have been involved in behavioural safety interventions at some point in their career. It's one of the big belief areas of safety, along with safety culture and safety management systems. So I think it's really important that we unpack this question around behavioral safety and and what it means. And we know that behavior change, as I mentioned earlier, is is quite a well-established science within the discipline of psychology. And we know about how you attempt to create behavior change and the need for people to have an emotional connection around the change. And we've seen that in various public safety campaigns around alcohol, drugs, smoking, gambling, driving, and and there is a lot of research. Although, however, many of those campaigns themselves don't really follow that behavioral change research very closely. But Drew, you've also done a bit of digging more broadly into behavioral change and behavioral safety. So what are your general thoughts? So yeah, so like you, I agree absolutely that there is definitely a science around behavior change. And there's often a disconnect between what that science says and how people go about trying to implement behavior change campaigns. I think often people rely on quite outdated or almost folklore about behavior change rather than what the science and theory suggests. We can certainly look and see that there are definitely times when we would expect that behavioral interventions would be very appropriate. There are certainly things that go on in workplaces that are very much guided and driven by human behavior. And often those are things where there are subtle incentives to do things in a way that's more dangerous. 
And it makes sense that we should try to put subtle incentives pushing back in the other direction, whether that's through making it easier to do it the right way or more motivated to do it the right way. But the theory suggests that that sort of thing should only work when everyone agrees what the safe behaviour is. They just find it hard sometimes to follow that safe behaviour. It's a bit of a truism, but if you if someone's going to change their behaviour, they need to start by agreeing that their behaviour needs to change and having motivation to make that change. There's no behavioural science that suggests that you could just force behaviour changes onto someone. So with that, there's a good place to step off from. Drew, do you want to tell us about the paper that you've selected for us to talk through today? Sure. So the main paper we're going to look at is called Active Behaviour Change Safety Interventions in the Construction Industry, a Systematic Review. Let me unpack that a little bit. It's a long title like many are. A systematic review is just a particular type of work that involves taking in, as the name suggests, a systematic way, trying to find all of the studies on a particular topic and looking at what the weight of evidence is. We're dealing with one particular scope. You can't do a systematic review of the entire world, so we're focusing on the construction industry. And we're focusing on active behaviour change interventions. And I'll get into a little bit what they mean by active interventions in a moment. The paper was published in 2015, so it's reasonably recent. Uh, it's got a long author list. And the four, first author, who's usually the one responsible for the paper mainly, is Barbara Mullen. Uh, Professor Mullen is a social psychologist. She has a very extensive track record writing about behaviour change. And she published this particular paper in a reputable journal called Safety Science. So all of the external markers we look at to find good research suggest that this should be current, should be well-informed review of what we currently know on the topic. The question that this study asked specifically was what characterises a successful behavioural safety intervention? So they were trying to find firstly which interventions were successful, and then they were trying to look to see if there were any patterns. The method they followed is fairly standard for doing a systematic review. They started off with a set of keywords and they did electronic searches to find every paper that might conceivably be relevant. And that gave them a starting point of around 6,000 articles. They then screened those articles to find ones that met certain conditions. Uh, the first thing is it had to be in the construction industry. Secondly, it had to be trying to reduce injury rates. Thirdly, it had to be a program to actively focus on behaviours. So not just evaluation of some external thing like legislation or checking whether new equipment led to some change in behaviour. And then they were considering only studies that had some sort of experimental or pseudo-experimental design. So the very minimum standard is that any study had to have a measurement before the intervention and after the intervention. So starting with 6,000 candidates, the end result was 15 papers. 15 papers that reported on evaluated behaviour change safety interventions in the construction industry. Now note that's not 15 good papers or 15 papers with strong designs. That's 15 papers total around the world. David, that, that surprised me. Does that number of papers surprise you? Well, Drew, yeah, it absolutely did. I mean, given that criteria, which is the construction industry trying to reduce injury rates through a program actively focusing on worker behaviour, 
I mean, there's thousands and thousands of organizations around the world who have done that in the last five, 10 years, 20 years. And so I, if you had have asked me that question, you know, how many, how many research papers are out there covering that scope? I, I probably would have guessed two to 300 in the last 10 to 15 years. Due to the amount that behavioral safety of due to how prominent it is within our organizations, the amount of researchers that talk about it, the amount of books that are out there. And, and so I'm, I'm curious as about how well this evidence base reflects more broadly the safety evidence base for other ideas. And I'm now curious through the podcast just to try to understand how much, how much research is out there for the things that uh, many practitioners and many researchers hold up to be true. Yeah, I, I guess it's no secret that I'm not a big fan of behavioural safety as, particularly not as it's often applied as a broad brush first solution to any safety problem. But I'd always imagined that there was maybe a large but weak evidence base and I'd be needing to sort of go through lots of studies and rebut how well those studies were conducted. It surprised me just that there were so few total that were published, particularly given that behaviour-based safety places a lot of evidence on itself as an evidence-based approach. That's kind of central to how it works is you do an intervention, you measure the change of behaviours, you use that to update the intervention. It has that sort of scientific feel to it and it's certainly advocated as scientifically based. So yeah, that did surprise me. And I think, Drew, one of the other things that surprised me was when I read the author lists of those 15 research papers and there were many authors that I didn't recognise, and I suppose in this systematic literature review, Professor Mullen, who's from really, you know, not specifically within the safety science discipline, and many of the authors that have written many of the books that we've read in safety aren't prominent in the research papers, and nor are their theories really strongly tested within the research papers either. And that that gap between the experimental or empirical research and the and the textbooks, if you like, is uh, was really interesting to me. Yeah, and I suspect that this is not really about behavioural safety, but is reflective of the evidence base in safety science. I'm kind of dreading when we get up to our episode on you know, systematic review of safety differently interventions. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to come close to 15. No, no, no. So Drew, tell us about the studies and the designs within those 15 papers. Sure. So the studies had a real mix of designs. One of the 15 was one of the really traditional randomised controlled trials. So in a randomised controlled trial, every individual is either given or not given the behavioural training, and they are just randomly allocated to one of those two conditions, and then we measure the difference. Some of the studies were various combinations of allocating groups to the intervention or not to the intervention, and a couple of them were just what we call pre-post design, which means you measure beforehand, you do the intervention, you measure afterwards. There's no control group. Now, I'd love to be really critical of the research designs in these studies, but doing real-world research in organisations can be hard. You have to fit in with what the company wants to do. And in construction particularly, you have to deal with the life cycle of the projects. You have to deal with subcontractors, as staff coming and going between companies and between projects. It gets really messy really fast, and we can't set things up as nice and neatly as people do when they do clinical drug trials. So... Professor Mullen's conclusion was that the overall methodological quality was poor, but I don't think I've ever read a systematic review that doesn't say you know, overall the methodological quality of studies in this review was poor. So let's instead of nipping the studies, let's focus on the results because I think those speak for themselves. 
So remember, there's 15 studies. Five of those studies, the only output thing they measured was just injury rates. So whether injury rates went up or down. Uh, Eight of the studies just measured behavior, whether behavior got better or worse. And two of them measured both. They measured whether injuries changed and whether behavior changed. Of the studies that measured injury rates, exactly two found an improvement in an experiment group compared to a control group. Out of those two, one of them, the experiment group had a much higher rate of injuries to start with. So it really isn't fair to compare the two groups anyway. And a couple of the before and after studies thought that they found an improvement. But when they checked the trend over time, it wasn't clear that the intervention had anything to do with the improvement. It was just a continuation of existing trends. So that's a bit of a wash when it comes to injury rates. Um, It was better when it came to measuring behavior change. Of the 10 studies that measure behavior, all of them had improvement on at least one of the things that they measured. That's not quite as good as it sounds since they often used a whole lot of things that they measured. And some of the things that they measured were things like safety knowledge and self-reported behavior rather than actually looking at how people are behaving. But still, 10 studies and all of them found something that improved over the life of the study. David, do you want to have just a quick mention about you know, what we should be using as our end point? You should we be measuring whether it changes injuries or whether it's okay just to measure changes in behavior or change in self-reported behavior? Yeah, I think safety science research suffers from some of the same difficulties as measuring safety in organizations more broadly. I mean, we have a lot of discussions in our organizations about what we should be measuring, um, leading or lagging or, or other types of measures. I think when it comes to safety research, though, I think what the study needs to do is 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 have a measure that's directly related to the mechanism that the research is trying to impact or change or understand. So if it's about behavioral behavioral change, then the measure really has to be about the behavior and about as specific a behavior as possible. So you know, measuring the actual behavior that's happening is different from measuring people's understanding and knowledge about what behavior should happen. And it's also very different from measuring injury rates. I suppose if we look at that sequence of what is the behavior to do? Does the person understand it? Do they do it? And then do they not get injured? Measuring something that's three or four steps removed from what the intervention in is aiming at makes the results a little bit unreliable when we're looking at correlations, um, let alone you know trying to understand causation. Yeah, th- that's a good point. I mean, obviously, we'd all love to know that our safety interventions were making a change in injuries. But from a scientific point of view, injuries are just a really noisy way of looking at safety. They go up or down for all sorts of reasons, including just random variation. And so it's not actually a very strong claim to claim that your intervention caused injuries to go up or down. It is better to look at that middle step. So if the idea is we change behavior and changing behavior changes safety, then the key measure is has the behavior changed? Um, and that means actually looking at the behavior. So some of these studies were good at that. Some of them were basically semi-secretly observing the behaviors, so watching the workers for long periods of time. Uh, And some of them were just getting workers to fill out surveys about their own behavior. And I guess it's kind of, of course, if someone knows that they're part of a safety improvement study, they're going to say, you know, yes, my behavior got better. People don't tend to admit that they're breaking the rules on paper that's going back to their own organization. So yeah, so let's get back to that question. So how much can we conclude that the uh, behavior change interventions worked? 
not a lot, but enough so that we can have a go at trying to find patterns. So Professor Mullen and her co-authors suggested a couple of things. They said that interventions that are based on theory tend to be more successful. And what they meant by that is that a lot of the behavior change interventions didn't actually draw on behavior change theory in their designs. And that's consistent with a lot of other stuff I've read and seen. There are a heap of road safety campaigns and health campaigns that don't make good use of our knowledge about how people react to behavior change messages. And safety is no different to that. There's a big manual that the, I can't remember whether it was the South Australian or Victorian government put out on how to do road safety campaigns. And I was shocked just last week to see a new motorcycle safety campaign that you know, obviously the people who've put together this campaign have not read the manual that their you know, own state put all that effort into producing. So basing it on the theory matters. And also focusing on interventions that change people's knowledge seem to be less effective than interventions that build in feedback. So you know, just telling people be safe or this is how to be safe isn't as effective as saying this is the behaviour we want and then when we see the behaviour different, we gently remind you of that. So Drew, the original question that we asked about when do behaviour change interventions work, it's, it's important that they're based on theory and it's important that there's feedback and, and, and not just knowledge. But how, how would you answer that question now? When do behaviour change interventions work? I'd have to say that based on this systematic review, there is weak evidence that behaviour change interventions work sometimes, but we don't have broad knowledge about when they work or how they work. So either there's a mass of better designed and evaluated interventions out there that have never been published, or the construction industry is unusually bad at designing interventions. And having checked out those first two possibilities for myself, I'd have to go with the third one, that the people who are absolutely sure that behavioural safety works are not basing that faith on good evidence. I think I'd agree there, Drew. I think the, the behaviour-based safety um, programs that I've seen and, and see in organisations now that I've got a little bit more across the literature, I think many of them are based on, on popular science or, or hopes as opposed to organisational hope and care as opposed to strong evidence about, about behaviour change in the organizational context. And we need to understand that the organizational context is not the same as, as the social context more broadly, where just taking that research about road safety campaigns or health campaigns, where you might motivate someone to keep themselves safe in a different way, may not actually apply in an organizational setting. So Drew, we've probably been a little bit um, strong in our ideas about behavioral safety. And I suppose the research has, has supported, you know, maybe some of the the way that we'd feel about behavioural safety, but um, do you want to talk about how we're linking our own ideas to, to the theory of behavioural safety? Sure. So I think it's important to note that our intention in picking this particular article for our first episode wasn't to pick on behavioural safety, but really to make a point about the quality of evidence that's generally available on safety topics. We simply can't make broad claims that this theory, theory works or that theory works or this way of looking at safety is better than that way of looking at safety. Sure, we can have academic and theoretical discussions about those arguments, and I'm sure you'll see both David and I piling in on LinkedIn, taking part in some of those arguments. But when it comes to basing our practice on evidence, we can't make those claims. 
hardly anyone out there is really properly evaluating their interventions. And most of those interventions aren't based on the theory anyway. So whether it works or not doesn't say much about whether the theory works or not. And that's going to be true of most types of broad brush thinking about safety. If we want good evidence, we're going to have to zoom in closer. And I think we'll learn, like our listeners will hopefully learn, and we'll um, get more specific and, and nuanced in the questions that we, that we ask through these podcast episodes. If we turn ourselves now to what does it mean for practice? I think firstly, we need to be very careful of the conflation of a number of different safety ideas. Ideas like safety culture and visible leadership and behavioral safety and safety climate. You know, sometimes we use those terms interchangeably and sometimes we, we don't take the time to, to talk and align on what we're actually talking about. But, but these things are actually very different. And even within some of these constructs, there's very different ideas about, about what works. So these are all different kinds of strategies about modifying the behavior of people within the organizations. And there's different theories in each of these areas. But I think from a practice point of view, when we talk about behavioural-based safety, we need to be very, very specific about the behavioural change that we're trying to make within our organisation and how we're aiming to make it. So if you're doing that, if you're currently implementing or thinking of implementing a very specific behaviour-based safety campaign or program, what would be your advice? Uh, my honest advice, stop. And possibly not stop permanently, but certainly stop and have a serious think about what it is that you're trying to achieve. The default assumption for any behaviour-based safety program based on the evidence should be that it doesn't work, not that this is a good idea that does work. You probably, most interventions aren't going to help. So if you want to do an intervention, then you're going to need to put real resources into evaluating what you're doing, not just before and after, but using control groups and well-designed measurements. Otherwise, there is a more likely than not chance that you're throwing your money away, throwing away resources, time, and giving safety a bad name. That's just, you know, that's got to be the prior, that's got to be the default assumption. So I think the answer to the question, and we're trying to zoom in at the very end and, and, and provide some very specific answers. So, so the answer to this question, when do behavioral safety interventions work in the construction industry? The answer is probably when you are trying to change a very specific behavior, one where the employee is motivated to change that behavior, and one where there's sufficient resources and feedback mechanisms provided to sustain and, and monitor that behavior change. There was, there was one study in that 15 that looked at people wearing safety glasses and people being motivated to wear the glasses, having the glasses available and having feedback when they were and weren't wearing them was actually showed to change that, that behavior through direct observation. So that's it for this week. We hope that you found the episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organization. Send any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes to us directly at feedback at safetyofwork.com. 